Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Oh, Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We got a huge show for you coming up because we got Dan Weber and Keely Ewer on the line. We haven't talked to them yet since the big news broke from Mike Bone when he tweeted out that Clay Helton would return. We've talked about this on the show with Harvey Hyde. We've had uh, John Wilner discuss it, but we haven't got to talk to Dan and Keely about it, so we'll get their reaction. Also, of course, USC going bowling, going to the Holiday Bowl. We have a ton of questions to get to. Also, the All-Pac-12 team was released. We'll go over that at the top of the show. But lots to get to today. Let's welcome in Keely York. She's in studio sitting right next to me. What's up, Keely? Hello, hello. We, did, we have a lot of questions. We have a lot to talk about. It's weird the way the podcasting schedule worked out. We kind of skipped a Dan pod when all the news broke. We, we, yeah, we did a Dan pod kind of early, but the news broke late. And then we end up having a late Harvey Hyde pod. And then we, now we've had two Harvey Hyde pods and we haven't had a Dan pod. So we need, we need the Dan pod. Exactly. And who's the best on the Dan pod? But Dan, there's Dan on the line. Hello, Dan. <laughs> uh, those are my sentiments. Exactly. To be yeah. honest. <laughs> we needed a Dan pod. So we, we sort of like kind of knew that it was coming down the pike, but we didn't really know. And now it's, now we know. So we'll get a lot of the reaction, man. And the questions came in because we did a Harvey Hyde show like on Thursday and then we did it on Monday and a ton like the most questions we ever had for Harvey Hyde. And it was only in a, like a four day period because everyone was reacting to the, the Mike Bone tweet and the news that Clay Helton was returning. So we got a lot of reaction about that. If you have any questions or uh, comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email. Or you could call us 424-254-9141. Leave a voicemail. Keep it brief. We had three voicemails for the Harvey Hyde show that were over three minutes. It's like, dude, we can't we can't do this. Sorry. That's, you, you should have your own show at that point. And also, the email, um, you can text us at that number, too, 424-254-9141. I want to, before we jump into everything, I want to read off really quickly the All-Pac-12 team. So, Keaton Slovis, he was the Freshman Offensive Player of the Year. So, congratulations to him. Uh, Michael Pittman, Austin Jackson, and Jay Tefele were also All-Pac-12 first team. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard. Drake Jackson, a defensive end, and safety Talanoa Hofunga, along with Velas Jones for his kickoff returns. They were all on the second team. And then uh, you had, for honorable mention, John Houston, uh, Tyler Vons, and Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, Elijah Griffin, and then kicker Chase McGrath. So, uh, you know, kind of the guys you would expect to be named. Uh, Drake Jackson was also uh, Pac-12 Defensive Freshman of the Year honorable mention. Um, so any, any surprises or shocks there from you guys or, uh, yeah, I sound, that sounds about right. Um, this was a, a pretty decent year for talent and, in, uh, individual talent in the PAC 12. Not sure the, uh, the teams all played up to it, but, uh, you know, as good as USC's talent is, there's, uh, there's, there's pretty good talent, uh, in the PAC 12 this year. And so, uh, that, that sounds like a pretty fair representation. I'm a, Talanoa Hafanga, big, big uh, booster. And uh, had he been able to play every game, I don't know if that would have made a difference or not uh, to bump him up uh, you know, to first team. But 
think pretty good. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like Elijah Vera Tucker uh, might have maybe gotten a first team, maybe, but we'll see. It's tough with yeah, all I those guess, Oregon uh, offensive lines. True, yeah, yeah, that's why I sort of just changed because I was like, wait a minute. But uh, it'll be interesting because PFF is really high on Elijah Vera Tucker. So getting another year under his belt, I'm, I'm curious about his growth. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the hardest position to evaluate. You don't get stats. And a defensive lineman, you know, gets stats. Everybody, and they, you know, make the big plays. You just don't get to see, you know, and compare one offensive lineman with another that much. So, um, so it's yeah, it's good that you know the PFF folks uh, certainly uh, have have liked what Elijah Vera Tucker has done. Yeah. Well, we got to jump into talking about the news, but I just want to let everyone know about our partner, Trader Joe's. They've been great to us now that Thanksgiving is over. You can go check out their fearless flyer on TraderJoe's.com for their holiday guide, 2019. Lots of cool stuff in there. Are you eggnog? Are you guys eggnog people? Like, No, I'm not an eggnog fan. I'm not not a huge eggnog fan, but when you put a little rum in it, it's pretty good. But they got a like, variety of eggnogs. They have... Uh, cookie baking mixes that are in there. Uh, you know, even if you want like peppermint hand soap, you can get that just, just to get your whole house uh, sort of festive. Um, I do like the uh, candy cane Jojo's ice cream. So uh, that's that's a good looking one. So. They also have chocolate covered Jojo's. It's crazy. Ooh. Yeah. So, if you want to overload on the candy. I, I do kind of like overloading on the candy, but you that's do. just my thing. But make sure you check out Trader Joe's, uh, you know, uh, wherever you are. Hopefully you got one near you. We we do we do love going to them. I I bring my Trader Joe's USC bags into every you know, like, you know anywhere I go. Like Trader Joe's, but if I go to like any store, I go bring those in. And oh. just like yeah, they're they're well they're well traveled. They're they're lasting. So we had to do another event with them so we can uh, give away some more of those bags. Yeah, without a doubt. Nice. All right. Well, let's uh, jump into things since we haven't talked about it on this show. Clay Helton's coming back, everybody, just if you didn't know. Um, he's back. USC's going to the Holiday Bowl, playing Iowa. Um, maybe get some initial reactions to that, and we'll we'll get lots of reactions to uh, the Clay Helton stuff, because I think that's where a lot of the questions are about. Keely, what do, what do you think about this one? It's actually a better matchup, I think, than if USC went to the Alamo. Um, I'm just glad that I'm not going to be in San Antonio on New Year's Eve. That's just a personal preference, but... Yeah. Um, I think given the fan apathy, the Holiday Bowl was probably the best thing for to happen to USC. Kind of go down there, get it over with, and 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 head out. But I mean, this is going to be a critical matchup just for. I mean, I know a lot of fans have decided, but for Clay Helton to try and boost some goodwill for himself to have a good performance against Iowa before you f- go through the off season and have all these talks about whether or not he should have been retained, and then <clears throat> you face Alabama. So if you can at least end with some sort of good note, I think that will at least help Clay Hilton a little bit. I know fans are rolling their eyes right now, um, but so far it doesn't seem like they're, <laughs> they're doing a great effort at that just because we still don't know the bowl practice schedule. So it's TBD right now, but it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, Dan, maybe get your reaction. I know your, your column got a lot of... Uh reaction on the message boards uh you know talking about iowa's already been practicing and usc hasn't even announced their practice schedule yet yeah it's it's probably not a good look uh considering the history and you know a holiday bowl the wisconsin holiday bowl four years ago was a preview of this and everybody you know knew how you know wisconsin was up there slogging it out in the in a snow belt and USC was kind of not even 
practicing in the sun. And that game basically 23-21 came down to Wisconsin was certainly not as talented as that USC team, but uh, but a lot tougher. And uh, and they made the plays that you know they needed to make, and uh, USC couldn't. Uh, you know it happened again a little bit in the you know, the Cotton Bowl when Urban Meyer and Ohio State came in and you know were practicing and full pads right away, and and USC was both not practicing and then and, and then doing walkthrough walkthroughs to start. So uh, it's kind of a bad reminder of some of the things uh, we haven't liked about some of the ways they they've gotten ready for for bowl games but i i, I agree with keely you know you got a chance if you're a usc guy and i can't agree at all with the people that you know burn it down you know we want them to lose this is no these kids are you know you you gotta like these kids if, if you if you really don't feel like you want to see these guys uh perform well then i'm not sure you really need to be a fan uh, this, that's, that's just not right. Uh, you know, Michael Pittman, uh, deserves so much support, you know, what Keaton Slovis has been able to do. Um, you know, just, there are a lot of ways that you could support this team and, 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 and root for something good to happen. Even if you don't feel like you're going to, um, uh, you know, second, uh, the, uh, choice of keeping Clay around for another year. You still, I think you got to, if you're a true fan, I I know people think, well, if I don't go, I don't see how not going to the Holiday Bowl helps you uh, change the coach. I mean, you know, it's, it, that's not going to be it. I don't know what's going to be it because it doesn't seem to be performance related either. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that we know what is going to be the you know the factor that that you know makes the decision obvious uh, in what direction to go. I mean, it's obvious that. There's a mismatch between USC's still stated goals to win national championships in football and what they're doing now. And to say, oh, we got a new president, we've got a new AD, who knew, who knew everybody would be all this upset, we were just going to take another year and, and, and see how things go in a year where they already know they can't recruit, um, and now they're going to extend that another year because they'll, you know, again, where most people think it's the obvious uh, uncertainty about the coaching staff that's made it hard uh, to recruit on top of how they're recruiting. Uh, but uh, to just extend that for another year and say if, if it doesn't go right, then it's uh, your fault as fans because you haven't given us enough support. I don't think that excuse uh, washes. That's that's not a good enough excuse. Uh, you know, the USC needs to give the fans something to be fans about, and they've gone a you know twelve years or whatever, uh, and looking at a number of bad decisions, one after another, after another, after another, and the athletic directors and the head coaches, and and so many other things that. Uh, to put this on the fans, I think, really is not the right way to go. And somebody needs to counsel somebody at USC that that's a really bad idea. And I think that's the dilemma that fans are having in general. Is Like like you said, Dan, I think they do want to support the players and, and the student-athletes who put so much effort into this. But I feel like they think if they do that, they're pleasing the administration who is kind of blaming it on the fans and kind of telling them, hey, continue to be loyal. You know, how do you 
show your support to the players, but also let a message be known like, hey, we don't want to be loyal if you're a USC fan. And I think that's the, the dilemma that, and the sentiment we, we've seen from fans and just the questions we've got for this podcast alone, too. Yeah, you're, you're asking people to care about a program that the people running the program don't seem to care about yeah. all that much. That's the problem. I mean, if USC, and this was always the problem that we had in the uh, the whole NCAA situation, uh, and everybody knows what the NCAA did to USC, and maybe finally, uh, if they get, you know, when the new trial comes and all that, Todd McNair will help, help make the case for absolutely what the NCAA did to USC. But it was really hard to defend USC when USC chose to, for the most of the time after the first year, not to defend USC, not to speak up for USC. Uh, it's really hard to defend somebody who won't defend themselves. And I think the same thing with uh, supporting the program. If you don't think USC is all in on a program, uh, it's really hard from the outside to say, oh, I'm all in, even if you guys aren't. Boy, that's a tough that's a tough leap to ask people to make. Yeah, that's definitely a tough sell. And uh, I, I don't like the message coming out. I mean, obviously, we don't like the decision, but the message hasn't been great either. And, you know, some of that's, I think, Mike Bone just being new and not realizing it's not a fan base. It's not an, a disloyal fan base, but it's a fan base that's been asked to go do a lot. You know, it's like you've asked this fan base to run a marathon and they're like just finishing up and you're like, all right, let's go it again. And like, wait, whoa, well, you know, like they've already, you've, you've taxed the fan base quite a bit already. Now Mike Bone hasn't, but USC has. And this was a very taxed fan base that you're trying to tax again. And at some point there's going to be, you know, it's like, let them eat cake or whatever. It's like, there's going to be a revolution. And I think that's what you're seeing now. Well, I mean, for just one example, you took away their 10,000 best seats, the seats that have been held by families for, you know, back into the 1940s, and and you took them away, and then you, you offered them worse seats for more money. No, you can't do that. I mean, you just, and it was like nobody cared. They just said, so, tough, go ahead, <laughs> move, and give us more money, uh, and that. You know, as you say, the revolution eventually comes. I mean, I don't think it's hard to expect that Bone and Fault would have known what was coming because we really didn't know. We've not seen ever seen anything like this. I mean, this is way past anything that is in our uh, experience. And I'm not sure it's ever happened at USC quite to the extent it's happening now. But uh, so we knew it would be not good, but I'm not sure we knew it it would be to this extent. Yeah. This is, uh, this is beyond, I think anything we've seen. So we'll see how it kind of goes going forward. Um, well, yes. Is there any more? Should we just jump? We have to go into questions, right? Yeah, we have to. It's we have a lot. All right. Keely's being mean about it again. So let's find this. <laughs> just kidding. Debatable. Uh, well, let's do it. What do you, what do you got, Keely? What do you First want to start up, with? Keith from Oakland. He emails us and says, hello, Ryan and team. One thing, uh, with the decision to keep Helton that I can't get my head around with all that I've read and listened to, keep in mind that I personally wanted Helton gone, is that if the decision was to keep Clay Helton, why wait 10 days after the UCLA game and four days after the now false Adam Meyer report to make it? 
It has become my belief that Bone was not the one who made the decision to keep Helton, but was forced to ultimately sign off on it, be the powers that be at USC, likely with the promise to do anything around Helton, but not remove him. On a personal note, I was hoping to go back next year to LA as I live on the East Coast and see a game, but no longer. No late East Coast starts either. Thank you for all the great work your team does. Keith from Oakland. Yeah, I think that's one of the uh, really, I mean, we try to explain part of it in the war room about, you know, this side issue coming in uh, with the varsity blues and all that uh, and the potential further scandal and more people involved and a story was going to come out and all that. But that didn't really explain the intervening time. I mean, we heard that, you know, they found out about it last Tuesday, but uh That seems more like an excuse, uh, a convenient uh, way to go. I mean, I don't know. I would have thought Mike Bone came here with the understanding that he was going to be able to make the decision on the football coast. And did he, in that time period, find out, uh, no, you really can't make that decision. That's not going to be up to you. And was there a lot of back and forth about how this was going to proceed uh, if, you know, you come here with one understanding and maybe that's not the way it ended up. I mean, it certainly looked like um, on Wednesday with the team meeting, you know, scheduled for whatever it was, 2.15, 2.30, that they went down to the wire almost before. Um, I know there are people who were in that meeting saying they weren't sure if Clay knew before he came in how many, how many minutes before he came in that he was still going to be the coach. Um, it was very, uh, handled very, not very smoothly, let's say that, and not very, like, we've got all our stuff together here, as it didn't look like they did. But yeah, if we could ever get an explanation as to what did happen in those 11 days, and how did it, I mean, the rationale that was given on Wednesday was, oh, we won five out of our last six, we, we were eight and four, we had a lot of injuries. We knew all that going into the UCLA game. I mean, it was there was no new information that came up uh, between then and the, you know the Wednesday following. I mean, so uh, I, I, that's unexplained and probably not ever going to be explained. But uh, that makes it a little diffi- more difficult for people to say you're asking us to d- go ahead with this, but you're not explaining why you did it. What, what's what's going on? Yeah. Now, we have a long email um, from Mark that kind of is the rebuttal to the war room, I guess. I'll read it, and it's to both of you so you can respond. Okay. It's from Mark who says, Dan and Ryan, I have to state that I do not think that the Helton error will end well, but since I just read the War Room article regarding the background on the decision to retain Helton, I have to ask you two to pump the brakes a little bit. I know that USC football does not... Uh, does well when there's a recruiting buzz. This obviously is lacking due to scholarship limits in our less than stellar season. So I presume that some of this hyperbole is to placate your customer base and renew subscriptions. I will accept that. However, there are some holes in the story explaining why Helton was retained. The administration is suddenly aware that the FBI is going to reveal new allegations against members of of the athletic department and the potential coaches could not fire or retain to their own discretion. Bone in the BOT was... was overridden by Fult, who did not want to have disruption. Rick Caruso wiped his hands clean of any involvement. 
Guys, are you kidding me? Take a breath, slow down, get some perspective. I assume that Bone is not stupid or naive. If I'm correct, my guess is that Bone spent a boatload of time investigating USC prior to his accepting the position. I'm not sure that since the FBI has arrested, all caps, members of the USC athletic staff, Bone knew knew about it and investigated it thoroughly. I'm also sure that his job description was worked out prior to employment, and this included his authority over staffing. If Bone was overridden, as you state, then he is either weak or on the way out. Regarding the BOT and Caruso, you may not like it, but both have more pressing issues than firing a football coach who is winning 70% of his games. Hold on, I need a breath. 70%? First of all, false. Wait, okay. we don't placate to... Hold on, I need a breath. Let me come okay. back. Graduating his players, keeping his nose clean to the NCAA, stays sober during the cocktail circuit... And I know that the five-star buzz is what drives the payday meter and gets the P excited, but I have stated for years to each of you that we have not had uh, O-line talent for years, and with a few exceptions, we have not had D-line talent either. I think you are accurate when you complain about the lack of live hitting in the practice, and that hurts us. I think that there should be more competition, and that would lead to improved play. I think we are not a disciplined team. All of that is coaching and recruiting, which lies at the feet of the head coach. I repeat, I do not think that Helton error will end well, but I remain objective. Uh, and then he says, P.S. I have I have to say that I was laughing at the end of the Auburn-Bama game when the most disciplined team in the country, quote-unquote, completely blew a gasket and melted down on national TV. Saban must have went nuts in the locker room. That was half a page of an email from yeah. Mark. Mark. Yeah, Mark. I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, everything's going to be fine except he had to change this, 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 and this. And yeah, that everything will be perfect. Um You've had the bar lowered, Mark. You need to go. Um, we're, we want you to go to your therapist and get get your you know, go back and look at the Pete Carroll era. Go back and look at the John McKay stuff. Get your get to your bearings about you. What USC football should be about? Not like you know they were really close to winning the Pac-12 South and and the coach didn't get drunk. That's great, isn't that awesome? Like, no, that's not the bar, Mark. Well, you know? I think the bigger issue is that he seems to imply that we make up things in the war room to yeah, sell ri- things. That's ridiculous, Mark. Um, we're not placating to anyone. We everything we write, it's going to make some people mad and make some people happy. So there's no there's no placating for for any of that. The 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 recruiting stuff is real. You can't just write that off and say it's no big deal. USC's DNA is not to be Washington State and find three-star guys and develop them by the time they're juniors, they're great and then you got like four, you know, a, a year that's awesome because you have all this like uh, senior talent that's developed, and then they go back to being crappy the next year. Like that's not USC. USC's DNA is to get the best players around, maybe underutilize them, maybe not develop them as much, but you have the best players already. And now you're getting away from that. So this is a real problem. You're getting away. Even when Paul Hackett was there, this is the DNA of USC football. And now you're getting away from it. I don't know where this class is going to finish, but it will be the worst class in you know the recruiting era, in the history of the recruiting era. So it, there won't be a class worse than this, guaranteed. Well, and to pick up on that, uh, uh, Urban Meyer said it this week. When they, uh, when Colin, who keeps trying to justify his own kind of uh, rankings and rationale about great programs, and not tried to say that USC was a glamour job, but blah, and and Urban looked, you know, looked at him and said, "No, USC is an elite, elite job," because he said you have the best players in the country within 200 miles, you know, of this campus, and he said it's all about recruiting. He said that's what it is. He, took, he made a point of Miami, for example. And how they've, you know, they're not Miami anymore. They can't recruit those players. And there's, there are issues with, you know, Florida high school football. There, you know, you may not have as many linemen in California as maybe you used to, but you've got 
so many, you know, skilled players and you just have to be able to adjust, uh, you know, in your recruiting. But uh, to say that, you know, USC performed well enough. No, they didn't. They didn't. And, and they haven't changed their objectives. They keep saying nationally competitive, national championships. They're not even near that. And to think that that we would ever, you know, any of us would ever write or say, put anything, you know, on the uh, on uscfootball.com that was designed to get hits. No, I mean, that's that's we don't care. I mean, we're not saying, well, if I say this, will I get more hits or if I put this headline, will I get more hits? It, that's the that that's never from everything that I know. I know for myself and everybody that I know. That's not ever a consideration. It's not ever a thought. We're trying to say, what can we tell you that we know uh, that really helps you understand this USC football program? That's all we do. We don't do anything else. And uh, to make it like, oh, it's a business plan or, you know, you're just calculating, you're sitting back and calculating how you're going to spend this. The next part of that is that you talked about uh, that you don't believe that the varsity blues thing necessarily impacted it. It probably didn't. It was a convenient excuse. I mean, obviously something was going on and you've got to give it. I mean, they weren't going to come out and necessarily say, you know, after 11 days, we realized what Clay Helton's record was or 11 days. We realized he's a good guy or whatever. No, they had to come up with something that gave him a little cover for that period of indecision, uh, you know, a week and a half after the season. And that was relatively convenient. And to say that, oh, how could you not know uh, that there were going to be other things happen in Varsity Blue? We didn't say that. We said the occasion for uh, adjusting to it or reacting to it was that there was about to be a, a major story released on Varsity Blues and how the prosecutors, well, in the FBI, the prosecutors in Boston have, have start, started to release uh, information that there are other people in the USC Athletic Department involved, and they're going to, you know, eventually let us know who those people are. That was the, I think, the occasion for that uh, that ability to use Varsity Blues as a as a rationale for you know for keeping Clay because, but not that you know Bone didn't know uh, about that. Although I don't think a lot of people were thinking there's going to be another wave of USC uh, indictments, uh, you know, for for Varsity Blues. I don't think I don't think anybody has known that until the prosecutors. Now they've gone through all the celebrities, and I think they're now about to say, well, there are more people. And USC, that would focus on USC. So instead of going after celebrities, that now they can go after schools. And that's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, because USC has said, we're the victims. These people took advantage of us. If the feds go after, uh, you know, a number of USC people, it's going to be harder for USC to say we're the victims and we're guessing that people are, you know, flipping on other people and turning people in and trying to say it wasn't me. It was my boss. Yeah, that that could happen. But it was the fact that that was going to be common knowledge uh, was the issue last week. Not that, you know, nobody knew that it, it that there was going to be a story about it. And so that was the occasion for Tuesday because the story came out Wednesday 
Wednesday and Thursday were the two days that the story came out. So uh, was it a big enough deal? No, of course not. Should they have reacted to it? No. They could have used it as an occasion to say, you know what? Why don't we talk about football and our new coach? <laughs> I mean, they could have gone the other way and said, hey, we're trying to hire the best football coach we can get. We're going to do that in every area of this university. And we're not, you know, that stuff happened before we got here. Uh, we're going to cooperate. We're going to clean house wherever we have to and not be defensive about it. I thought that was a mistake. If they're being defensive about it or they're letting it keep them from doing what they know is the right thing to do, that's a really bad mistake. And that's a mistake that echoes that all the mistakes in the previous 12 years or whatever that got them into this place, doing the kind of, well, the expedient thing or, well, maybe this will get us through and nobody will yell at us or whatever. and. Yeah. They really miscalculated. I mean, really miscalculated. Yeah, they did. And the issue for USC is Donna Heinel is the only athletic director that was involved. She could be, you know, she is facing prison time. She might do a little singing. So if there's other people that are involved in the athletic department, that could come out. So the USC might be in a unique position there. Um, let's go to a voicemail, Dan. Uh, we got a bunch of these too. So I'll play the first one for you. Hey, this is Rick from La Mirada, first of all. Thank you, Keely, for taking control of the show. Uh, uh -huh. You make it run. So we love you for that. The boys do okay. But anyways, over this whole bone thing, uh, I don't even know what to say. I'm exhausted. I mean, and then hours later after Helton uh, is said to be our coach again, we go ahead and hear that Chris Peterson has stepped down at Washington. I mean, this is just becoming terrible. They're obviously, they're, the leaders in the school are not listening to our voices, so it hurts and I feel terrible, but what is next? The wallet? I mean, is it true? Does it come down to people just not going? I mean, the recruiting class alone should get most coaches fired. But uh, what, whatever you guys think, man, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Have a great day. I love the show. Thanks. I don't know if he's exhausted or drunk when he says Keeley's running the show or something. Hey. I'm just kidding. No, no, thanks for the call. And uh, yeah, Keeley, Keeley keeps us going. So No, you're such a liar. But it's okay. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Dan, take it away. Yeah. Um, I'm exhausted listening to Rick talk about <laughs> being exhausted. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it makes a point. It, it is kind of exhausting keeping up with, uh, you know, a program that still says it wants to win national championships not doing any of the things it takes to win national championships. And, and, you know, as much as we're hopeful about Mike Bone coming in here, I'm not sure, uh, you know, his background is going to get us to national championships either. Uh, I think you need a, you need a head coach who's going to get you to national championships. Uh, you know, you can talk about, Oh, they had a great athletic director at Florida, Jeremy Foley, or Gene Smith was a great athletic director at Ohio State. The reason they won three national championships in football at those two schools last 25 years is because they had Urban Meyer as the head coach. So, you know, you, you got to you, – that, that's the driving force of college athletics right now is your head football coach. 
I'm not sure I'm a, a big, uh, you know, Chris Peterson guy, um, but uh, especially not now. I mean, the, the last person I think you want to hire is a guy who's more uh, exhausted than the uh, than our caller. I mean, uh, we don't need a, we don't need need a guy who. I mean, he had his first uh, tough run of it at Washington, and he's bailing. So I'm not I'm not sure that's the way to go. Yeah. I feel we feel for you, Rick. Though it's uh, it is exhausting for fans. Fans are like the like I said, you know, the other analogy of it's like they've run a marathon and they get done and they're just they think that it's over and you're like, nope, we're gonna add you know another 10k. There's six more miles you got to go, and you, you're asking the fans to do something that they're almost incapable of at this point. They've they've lived through this. It's been Groundhog's Day. So, Rick, we feel you. Sorry about that. And we essentially got an email from Steve who basically said, "Good luck. I'm out." Um, he said he's going to check back in next November. Uh, so the sentiment continues. Steve, don't leave us. We, we are getting like record numbers on the, you know, the podcast listens and stuff right now. But Interesting. I, so, I mean, people are really interested in the news, but I could see at some point that could drop off because fans are like checking out. So yeah, Steve says he's going on a USC vacation. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I mean, you know, the crazy thing is if, they okay. They don't have a good recruiting class necessarily, but if they can recruit their own team and keep everybody here going into next year, they are far and away the best team in the Pac-12. I mean, it's not even close. Uh, you know, with how few seniors USC has, so they got to do a good job recruiting there. But again, will people get excited again about this program? I mean, they'll even have. With uh, now that we know JT Daniels is back, they'll have insurance at the quarterback position. I mean, who who does that? I mean, so you know, uh, it's all there for them to take. The problem is, you're not going to believe no matter, and and we aren't either. I mean, we can say, hey, they really worked hard in spring. They did last year. Hey, the first two weeks fall camp looked pretty good. But we don't have any control over what they start to do then when they start getting ready for games. And, uh, you know, we know what happened. I still, you know, the first time it happened was that uh, time, you know, they opened with Alabama and they had a really good fall camp. And then they went two weeks of changing what they were going to do and they were going to fool Alabama and they were going to do this and do that. All the stuff they had done, they got away from and then they got crushed. And that's the the worry about this program is who are they and how do they get to be the team they need to be? And then can they stay after it? And we've seen no examples that they can. And then we get into this bowl prep, you know, time at a time with all the criticism, all the second guessing, and they decide not to practice. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, if ever there would have been a time that you'd want to go out there and hit almost as much as you possibly can, as much as the NCAA will allow you, uh, knowing, first of all, that that's, that's what Iowa does. The team you're getting ready for, they're, you know, they're hitters. They're, they're physical. You know, they, they live with their toughness. They're not, you know, the most skilled team, but uh, they're a bunch of tough guys. And that's what they, you know, believe in, they're proud of. And what's USC doing to counter that? You know, right now, we don't know. They're not doing anything. Yeah. Yep. 
We have a question from Eric in Duck Country who says, Ryan, Dan, and Keely, I can't get over how confusing all of this is. I'm probably going to be sending a lot of emails over the next couple of weeks, but I'll stick with two questions for now. One, why are people saying that it would be easier for Mike Bone to make a change next year instead of now? And two, this reminds me of the Les Miles situation in 2015 and 16. He was just barely retained in the 2015 season with a record of 9-3 and three and fired four games into the 2016 season, and no one remembers that anymore. This is a coach who won a national championship and whose biggest problem was not being able to beat Nick Saban, something a lot of people struggle with. I know Dan has said that USC can't fire another coach midseason, but at this point, wouldn't everybody understand Everybody who knows football was shocked that Helton was even retained. Sorry for the long email. It was one of the shortest ones, Eric, so you're fine. Yeah. Thanks as always, Eric and Duck Country. Yeah, I mean, I I did get involved in that a little bit with the LSU thing because uh, I know, uh, you know, remind, remember talking to Coach O. And I, I, I just told him that I thought, you know, he didn't think Les Miles was going to survive and that you'd be right there. And that's how it played out. And, and Coach O, you know, hung in there. And uh, look how, you know, how, look how that's turned out for him. But I think you're right. I think it's going to be harder to fire. If you're going to, you know, fire based on record or, or whatever, it's almost impossible, I would think, for USC to have a worse record next year. Uh, looking at the schedule, looking at what everybody loses. You know, they get Notre Dame at home. Uh I think it's going to be so, yeah, I mean, I think that's another part of this uh, uh, process is people were thinking, wait a minute, he's not only going to be, you know, this will not only continue, you know, this for the next year, but it won't be able to be, you know, short circuited after that either. And yet this will be still a coaching staff that's recruiting with everybody thinking this could be your last year. Why don't we go somewhere else? But when you, you know, get shut out of the top, now I guess it's top 24 players in California and none of them are coming to USC. I don't know how that, you can't just go forward with that. That's going to catch up with you. They got lucky this year in some ways. And I, and, and, and yet you got to give them credit. They took some shots and this freshman class is way better than it was ranked. And it's going to be way better all the way through. Uh, but this current class that's coming in now, I, I, I don't think you can have back-to-back classes like this if you're, if you're contending that you are going to be a national championship uh, you know, program. Uh, that, that can't stand. So, yeah. so I don't know where, you know, where do they go next year? If they didn't do it this year, it's going to be hard to do next year, I think. Yeah. Well, Bear Secutor sent us an email saying, tell me when and how this all ends. Why could slash would Clay Hilton be fired next year if they didn't do it this year? Tell tell me exactly what will change to make it possible to remove him next year or the year after that. There will always be excuses that he can trot out, official, officials, injuries, et cetera, new schemes, new coaches. Bear Secutor. Real, real quick on that. Um, yeah, I when people are going to – all people did for the last like two years on radio shows were asking like what does Clay Hilton need to do to save his job, you know? And you'd have answers, but you're like, well, but if you would have figured they went five and seven, I would have said he was going to lose his job. If you would have figured he was going to lose his job this year. Um, I don't know the answer to this. We, we can't know because two years in a row, we all felt that it was probably the right thing to do for Clay Elton to lose his job, and it hasn't happened. So I, I can't answer this question anymore. I just to tell people, look, I, I thought he should have lost his job the last two years. I have no idea what it would take for him to lose his job because 
USC doesn't seem to know. Well, I mean, I think it'll be instructive and for Mike Bone to be sitting here and wondering, huh, are they going to practice for the bowl game? Huh. I, wonder, I mean, if, if Iowa is going to have 10 fundamental, physical, back-to-the-basics practice where Iowa becomes Iowa, 10 practices before they even start getting ready for USC. And USC, we can almost be absolutely certain now, will not even get in 10 practices total. And you wonder if Mike Bone says, huh, that doesn't look exactly right. I mean, how many practices – is, is Cincinnati going to, you know, take? I'm guessing they'll probably take all the ones you're allowed to have. And, and I think some things like that may kind of creep into the decision-making process. I don't know. I mean, Bone sounds like he's going to try to be hands-on. But if he's hands-on in recruiting and hands-on with, you know, the day-to-day uh, way this program is being coached and all that, he might have some questions because they'll let him into practice. Uh, unlike us, he'll get to go and, and actually watch the whole practice. And I'm guessing uh, now, unfortunately, he was a quarterback and a baseball player in college. So that doesn't necessarily translate into the kind of attitude you'd want somebody from the outside to bring into this program. But uh, I'll be interested in see just his uh, observations up close. Uh, what will that produce anything? I don't know. We have a question from uh, Ryan from Huntington Beach who says, shouldn't programs like USC have a director of football operations or general manager like the NFL? Bones aim and Swan's past failed promise to collectively or to collaboratively make major program changes with Coach Helton seems like a lot for an AD with so many sports and programs to oversee. And shouldn't this be a one-time Shouldn't this be a one-time discussion either? Implementation and continual oversight is required for success. I'd love to see an executive-level person or an advisory board with football experience and a 30,000-foot perspective demand more accountability of our our head coach and manage executive-level football operations uh, departments like recruiting and the football support and training staff, someone who can demand implementing an enduring Trojan culture of intelligence, toughness, competition, and discipline that lasts beyond the term of just one head coach. Pro sports does this very well. Isn't it time for USC to start treating its football program with the same degree of professionalism of the multi-million dollar program that it is? Ryan from Huntington Beach. Well, they did. They do have a technically a director of football operations, but he's, he's more of a mechanic. Uh, make sure the buses are there, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I thought that was one of the best things that Orgeron did when he went to LSU is he did create a kind of a general manager position. And I think he might have been uh, the uh, the radio guy who had been with the program and was really steeped in, you know, but he was kind of an outsider as well, and he was kind of coming from a different angle. And uh, I thought Ed did some, some really good things like that. Now, USC had something like that. I mean, Pete Carroll didn't need a general manager for the football program. But um, but uh, uh, when Pat Hayden became AD, he brought his sidekick, J.K. McKay, and, and J.K.'s job pretty much was to oversee football. But I think that was more the non-on-the-field you know, stuff, uh, more than you know, evaluating the day-to-day work. But I think, I think that's a good idea. I think Bone's going to have to do it now. I mean, obviously, Lynn Swan, you know, he uh, every once in a while wrote – 
something about what he thought the program should be, but he wasn't in any way going to, you know, oversee it. Uh, but, uh, and I know they had meetings with Clay, but uh, didn't seem to have any effect at all. Uh, but I think Bone's going to have to do that job right now, although he's bringing in his, uh, you know, deputy from Cincinnati. That looks like that's a done deal now. So that pretty much tells you uh, there's no going back. It, uh, you know, Brandon Sosna, who's going to be the deputy AD, wouldn't be coming if they didn't think they could make this work. And, um, and we'll see what all they do, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, of trying to make it work. But, um, but somebody that knows football and who can challenge maybe the status quo. And, and ask the question, Clay, why the hell aren't you practicing till this weekend? Why'd you take three weeks off? What's going on? Um, uh, I, I'd like to hear the, I'd like to hear that question asked and I'd like to hear it answered. Yeah. We, uh, should we do a voicemail? Sure. We've got a bunch more of them still. Uh, here's one about, uh, the health of, uh, one of the football players. Here you go. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. This is for Dan Weber. As far as Marquis Stepp, will he be healthy for the bowl game? And would you save him for Alabama, which is going to be very important to have him totally healthy, or would you risk him in this bowl game if he's healthy to play? Curtis from Moreno Valley. No, I wouldn't risk him at all, uh, and I don't think he's even close. I, I think there's you know, foot fractures are really – uh, you know, especially when you're a 230-pound pounding running back with speed. Uh, no, I, I'd get him ready, uh, you know, for Alabama. And, I mean, he's, he, you know, he was in a boot for uh, a good while and then uh, seemed to, once he got out of the boot, he's, you know, he's moving pretty well right now, but not moving anywhere near up to, you know, football game speed. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think he'll be ready for Alabama. Will the USC running attack be ready? Will the offensive line be ready to block Alabama? I mean, they may be able to stalemate him a little bit. If everybody comes back, they'll may be able to stalemate him a little bit in the pass game, as I don't know that Alabama has those kind of transcendent, uh, you know, athletes that, that can get to the quarterback, as we've seen. Uh, with the LSU game. And, you know, if you can throw the ball and you got enough receivers, uh, it's Alabama, you know, has a little difficulty playing against the pass. So that, you know, what you need to do with USC at this point is you really need to be able to develop the run game. Because this USC football team, the way it's constituted, if they can run the ball, it's really going to be hard to stop their pass game. If you can't drop eight, you know, you're going to be screwed. Uh, and USC has to be able, instead of this year, this team, when people dropped eight, it was like, oh, I don't know, where will we get people open? Oh, my gosh. What? Instead of saying, you're going to drop eight, we're going to run it down your throat. We're going to run it down your throat every time you drop eight. Three guys aren't going to be able to stymie us. Bring them young. Play three guys. And USC couldn't block them. That was ridiculous. Uh, that's what has to happen in practice. That's what how they have to think about the game. You want them going into a game saying, please drop eight. Please drop eight because we're going to just knock you off the line of scrimmage. That's not an attitude that we see with USC right now. But somewhere they got to develop it. I mean, what do you think? For example, if Erwin Myers coaching a team 
and they know somebody's going to drop eight, what do you think happens? I mean, come on. Of course you know what's going to happen. USC has to become that team. Yeah. And with Marky Step too, if he was close, I mean, I don't think you save him because you have a game in eight months. Like there's yeah. yeah. And, and talking to team sources, they were actually confident that they will will be able to use Marquis Step in the bowl game. Now we haven't seen them practice yet. We haven't seen him walk around, so that's still TBD because I feel like talking to USC's team sources, they're not always the best judgment of when guys will come back yeah. or they push him back. But that that torn ligament they thought would recover in, in a couple of weeks. So that was the goal when talking to, to people yeah. on the team. But if he's not healthy, you don't want to play him. But it's not like you're saving him for a game that's from eight months from yeah, now. Yeah, no. You know, like, just, yeah. You, like, you heal up in the offseason. Yeah. No, it's just, I just think anything that ties into the, you know, the foot is just so iffy in terms of how, you know, the timing on healing. And, you know, uh, you know, they replace When they do the knee surgery, they replace that ligament. Um, you don't really, you don't do that. And there's not a lot of healing that goes on. So, I don't know. I think it'd be a little quick, but, uh, you know, it's great. If he can come back, that'd be great to see him out there. Yeah, because eight months is the, the Alabama came camp factor into it. So it's strictly is he healthy or not? Yeah. yeah. So we have two questions that I'm going to lump in together, and then like we're going to get into future-facing questions because I know some people in the in the emails are like, can we get on? I hate talking about Clay Hilton. So uh, these next two are about Clay. First off, Rich from San Diego says, I constantly hear that Clay is a nice guy, that he brings integrity and stability to the program. I don't see it that way anymore. He must know how unpopular he is with the fans and media and that four- and five-star kids are bypassing SC. So why doesn't he step down? By not stepping down, he's actually creating instability in the program. A man of integrity would recognize his own faults, realize he's reached his limit with these student-athletes, and move on. Why in the world does he want to work in this environment? Clay needs to do the right thing and step down. That was Rich from San Diego. And then Paul from Gator Country says, Hello, team. Thanks for helping us through these turbulent times at USC football. The one thing that really bothers me is the national media is always wanting USC to keep Clay Helton and how they seem to like the irrelevance of uh, USC football. Our reputation has been tarnished for sure, and I, for one, take us seriously. My questions, does Clay Helton realize how unpopular he is as a coach with the fans? Also, I keep hearing, quote, what a great man he is, unquote, which I don't doubt, but he's also a politician fighting for his job. Um, and giving game balls to Folt and Bone and saying the right things, etc. If Clay is such a great man that cares about USC football, why doesn't he just resign for the sake of the program? That would prove he's a great man in my view. I'm still furious at Swan for extending his contract, but at least Swan said at the very least he expected a Pac-12 championship, and the new AD Bone lowered the bar with a bowl game. Did he not know what, what, what was the expectation for the season? Fight on, Paul, from Gator Country. Yeah, I think there are millions of reasons why you don't resign. Uh, I mean, I, we've seen, I think the coach at Utah State, after they lost the USC game a few years ago, just walked away and said, that's it, I'm not getting it done, I'm out of here, and and didn't collect his, uh, you know, guaranteed contract and all that. I think that I can remember that. I don't know that there's anybody else that's ever done that. They just walked away, and that's not going to happen. What about Oregon uh, State? Huh? Yeah. Oregon State, how random that was. That was like Gary Anderson. Yeah. Close to after they played USC too. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, it's just the weirdest thing. Uh, but um, uh, I, I do think Clay. I I think that unfortunately, I think it's the best motto in college sports: fight on. The problem is sometimes you do that when <clears throat> you don't have a chance. Uh, to make what happens happen. I think Clay's popularity in his mind and and probably in reality is with his players 
who who like him. Uh, they there are ways in which they probably have you know different feelings about Clay, but you know in most ways they like him personally, and I think that's what matters to him most. I don't know that he's looking outside of the program for validation or for people to like him. Uh, and Clay, I think he has a kind of a stubborn ability to kind of deny reality. I mean, we see it after games, after practices. Uh, so Clay lives in a world, I think, where what he wants to happen is kind of what's happening. And it's just, he's just a, a guy who, you know, the glass is always half full and it's always, you know, about to be refilled and all that kind of stuff. That's just, that's just who he is. I, I don't know that he's somebody that is worried about what everybody on the P is saying about him. He's just not that guy. No, he can't be. And he's not resigning. Um, this is, you look at the decisions he's made. I think a lot of them, the, the politician aspect is in there. I think a lot of the decisions he's made have been to try to keep his job. And I, you know, you, you could argue it's not really about, Hey, making this team better. I think that's, you would like that to happen, but it seems like he's doing things to try to keep his job. It's two years in a row now where most coaches would have been fired in this day and age. And because of all the turmoil at USC, he hasn't been. And so I feel like he's doing whatever he can to kind of hang on and keep this job. And that's, I don't think that's where you want to be. You want to be like, how can we become elite? And I don't think they're doing those kind of things. You're not practicing for bowl games. You're not changing, you know, you need to fire more people than you have. You need to bring in, you know, bigger names outside. The fact that there's no great interim head coach candidate on this staff is very telling. Like there's a lot of issues there, but I feel he's not going to resign to me on the surface. All the decisions he's made has been to keep his job, um, which, you know, you could argue is not really the right approach to go. Uh, I want to tell everyone about SeatGeek before we, uh, roll along because we I know we got a bunch more questions um you know the uh, holiday bowl is coming up some people want to go you got to go check it out if you go to the seat geek app there's a lot of options for you at the holiday bowl so usually you know when you're going down there and to San Diego there's a bunch of red dots there's a lot of green dots that means there is a lot of good seats a lot of you know close seats 50yard line seats 40 yard line seats there's a lot of options so if you want to go to see USC, play Iowa. They got seats from as low as 51 bucks. They got really great deals, uh, about hundred bucks or so that you're going to get awesome seats. Uh, you know, row 30, you know, section 36, row nine for $121, like some really good seats there, uh, over at the queue. So if you want to go down to drive down the freeway, check it out, make sure you go to the seat geek app. It's going to be the best place. You can find where the seats you want to go for the holiday bowl and to go see USC play. And right now, they're going to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So all you got to do is use our promo code USC. That's promo code USC. Download the SeatGeek app and you're going to get $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. Make sure you go check it out. Or Lakers or Clippers if you're a little discouraged. Yeah, if you don't <laughs> want that, you can do, you know, there's a lot of other things. But, you know, we got the ball game coming up. But there's True. a lot, like the whole the whole stadium's like green dots. So, there's a lot of good deals out there if you want to go see this game. Good deals. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good game to watch just as a, a as a college football game. It's two kind of different philosophies. Uh, 
USC's got a lot of things that you do want to watch uh, happen, and I think you'll be able to get a good seat to to really get a feel of of, of what college football is like. So this would not be if you just a you know a fan just just go watch it and uh, just just take it in. I think you'll uh, you'll get a it's a pretty good place to watch a, a football game. It's kind of old and you know it doesn't get a lot of play anymore, but um, I think. Uh, I think it's worth uh, worth giving it a shot. This is a game that would be worth going to, I think. Yeah. Uh, their next voicemail has to do with the Holiday Bowl, so I'll play it for you. Hey, the question is for either Coach Hyatt or Dan Weber. The Frank Miranda out of Irvine, class of 2004. Uh, question real quick is, what happens if USC gets blown out by Iowa or, you know, just gets beat and looks really just out physical? I mean, what does Vaughn and Bolt do? Like, what's what's the response? I mean, can I mean at that point, can Vaughn go to Bolt and say, "Hey, we need to get rid of him"? I mean, what's the outcome here? The fan base that any kind of hope to hold on. I mean, what is it? Because we know what's coming with Alabama. So, if you could please just have you know, give me your guys' opinion, I'd really appreciate it. Love what you guys do. Um, Trying to stay engaged with the program after what happened, but it's really hard, guys. Really hard, especially knowing that a possible um, beatdown from Iowa is on the table and from and definitely Alabama. Take care. Fight on. Yeah, I think that is an, an element of uncertainty because I, I do think, for example, if it doesn't play out well, how you prepared for the game, and um, you know it doesn't go well, uh, because I think. I don't know. You know, USC is a two-and-a-half-point, three-point underdog, which seems crazy in a lot of ways. Although you look at, you know, Iowa, they play everybody close. And, uh, you know, they win close, they lose close. But, uh, you know, they don't, they don't, they're not out of games. Now, again, they haven't played anybody who can throw the ball like USC. They didn't have to play Ohio State in the Big Ten. So uh, they were, fair, you know, fairly fortunate. But they uh, they beat Minnesota. Second last game of the year, uh, you know, number eight team, I guess, in the in the country when they beat them. So, um, you know, they're not chumps, and um, you know, I think the matchup in some ways favors USC. They can do things that now. Uh, I guess uh, uh, one of the things that uh, Iowa prides itself in is they're really good at changing up defenses, and uh, and they think that can you know be something that that screws USC up and, you know, uh, earlier in the, you know, the season, that would have been, you know, certainly the case, how USC handles that again, that's preparation. And, you know, if you don't use all your practices to prepare for that, uh, you know, shame on USC. If it, if it really goes South, I, I, I don't know that this is absolutely positively 100%, you know, set in, you know, in, in concrete that nothing is going to change, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would be an interesting, you know, if that is the result, um, I don't know what they do. Uh, the people who made the call that they made last week, what do they do going forward? If things really go South, I don't know. Yeah. That's a, that's a worry. Um, mm-hmm. I would think that's, you know, is anyone going to be cheering, like uh, harder for USC than like Mike Bone and Carol Fult uh, in that game. Uh, but sort of like what happened after, you know, we talked about this, I think on tunnel vision, when clay, when clay was named the permanent head coach, things went South like pretty mm-hmm. quickly. 
um, with you know losing the Pac-12 championship game, losing the bowl game, then starting off one and three and getting smoked by Alabama and all that. Um, so, but then, but then they the run, you yeah. Know? So, and I think that's what fans are scared about, and I think that's why people made the the comparison of of the parallels of the season, the Rose Bowl season, because they start off with Alabama. Like Bears Secutor said, if you don't get rid of him after the five and seven season, after eight and four, when does that happen? You know. Yeah. So, but we have an email from Paul who says, "Hello, Pear Style Podcast Team, love your show and give you lots of kudos for enduring the ups and mostly downs at USC football over the past decade." Of course, like most people, I'm so upset about USC keeping Helton. Uh, first question: Do you see any way? that Helton keeps Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter. Short of firing these two would be a fireable offense. Secondly, here is my worry. Next year for the Alabama game, I bet USC is ranked in the top 25 just so people watch that game. Then USC gets pummeled and embarrassed on national television. Discouraged Trojan fan in Florida. P.S. You should probably promote the wine and beer sold at Trader Joe's, as I'm sure we will all need it. Fight on, Paul. (laughs) Well, Paul, you know, they're 23rd now. uh, And they bring... What three three starters they lose three or four depending on how you how you count them. Uh, I don't know. There's anybody else that, that that brings that kind of you know number percent of their talent back, and they've got a lot of you know true freshmen. Uh, that's the biggest jump usually is between your freshman and sophomore year. So you know not that USC is going to be in the top twenty five uh, no matter what everybody thinks of Clay and and company. Uh, I'd be surprised if they're much below the top 10. I mean, they they got a lot going for them. Um, you know, they got other stuff that people are going to say, I'm not going to trust those guys. But um, uh, this is a, you know, this is a team that, that's going to be probably pretty highly ranked next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to do another voicemail? Sure, let's go for it. All right, it. let's do that. This is Richard from Palm Springs right after the rehiring of Clay Hilton. Oh, my goodness. Happy days are here again. Let's all put our hands together and clap. Uh, I cannot believe this. Uh, now that the three of you have nothing to talk about regarding uh, Urban Meyer, which you said you thought that was a done deal, please tell me how this is going to make a difference. It seems like it's Mike Garrett, Pat Hayden, and Lynn Swan all over again with an athletic director that can't pull the plug on us. Uh, and I think the backlash, as you guys have been saying, is going to be unreal as far as next year is concerned. Uh, I'm not coming back, and I know a lot of people aren't coming back. Anyway, uh, maybe you can tell us where this is going to put us. Uh, they got to get rid of Baxter. they got to get rid of Pendergast. The offense might be okay. The defense, I don't know. But I'd appreciate your comments, and after I pick myself up off the ground, I'll listen to you guys. Enjoy the show very much. Fight on. Yeah, you you predicted I, with this uh, email right after it happened last week. Uh, what you said, you know, was going to happen. Obviously, has happened. You you hit it right on the head. Uh, yeah, I think they've got to make a number of changes. If I'm athletic director Bone, and maybe I didn't know this was going to happen the way it did, and now I look at it and say, oh boy, uh, he's. Changes have to happen. I, I, they can't possibly. I mean, they've got to do some things that say, "Look, we're doing stuff. We're trying. We're we're going to do this in recruiting. We're going to do this on defense. We're going to do this on special team." Uh, they have to go ahead and do those things. 
how easily that is uh, accomplished, I don't know. Uh, again, I think you're probably going to have to offer multiple year contracts to get anybody uh, and in, come into a situation where they're not sure uh, what's going to happen after this year. So, uh, so that won't be as easy. Uh, you know, we we hear a name like uh, Tosh Lapoy uh, is 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 being a possibility from coming back from Cleveland, the former Cal. And uh, and Washington uh, recruiter with uh, with uh, Sark and I guess with at Cal with uh, uh, Clancy was his uh, coordinator at Cal a reputation of, of being a big time recruiter went to Alabama uh, things didn't all work out for him there uh, got some issues you know in his history but uh, we're hearing names like that when you hear names like that you think okay they're they're gonna really go outside their, you know, comfort zone. Uh, but, uh, but they know they got to do something. And um, I'm thinking Bone is pushing pretty hard for this to, to happen. I think he came here with the idea that he was going to have more control over uh, over the head coach and, and what was going to be, you know, the outcome of that and probably didn't have that and didn't get that. And now that he's apparently decided to stay, I mean, you got a couple of choices and one of them is, I'm out of here, uh, uh, but apparently not able to go back to Cincinnati. And what do you do? Uh, I don't think you just walk away, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen, and he's bringing in a sidekick from Cincinnati. So uh, I think Bone has to be pretty active right now uh, with hands-on direction of this football program. I don't think there's any question. It's just I think it's a matter of time. Uh, you know, is that one of the things that's holding up the, uh, um, the bowl practices is they're not sure what coaches are going to be there. I mean, Clay's done this before he, uh, what did he fire? Was it four or five coaches that got fired, um, before the, uh, first Wisconsin holiday bowl, uh, game. And, uh, so I guess it wouldn't be, uh, unheard of if some, some changes were made. We don't think, we don't know that that's the case, but, uh, I guess it's always a possibility. That was also before the early signing period took place, though, which there's yeah. a whole wrench into it. I'm kind of guessing if something happens, it has to be after early signing period. Like mm-hmm. I'm not anticipating any coaches getting fired before the signing day. Yeah, it just it changes the whole landscape, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, we. You still got to practice, though. I don't know what they're doing. They got to freaking practice. Well, speaking of which, we have a text from Sean who says regarding the bowl practices, do you think they'll even max uh, max out the allowed number of practices? If he doesn't utilize the max practice available, then that's another fireable offense for Clay Helton. That's an interesting point. And no, he's not. Obviously not. I mean, if you don't start till Friday, you have uh, fourteen days to get in fifteen practices. Do the math. Two of those days are Christmas Eve and Christmas. So is he going to get in the max practice days? No. How's that going to go over with the AD? I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm curious to see uh, when the, when the, we haven't even got the schedule yet. Like this is, yeah. and Dan, yeah, Dan, I love Dan's column when we talk about the cotton Bowl. like before USC even had a walkthrough, Urban Meyer and Ohio state had two full pad practices in Dallas, you know, just, it's just a different philosophy. Uh, I think they had the same philosophy for Penn State and ended up winning. You know, they ended up winning that game, but it was a crazy shootout. Uh, you know, I think the difference was because it was a Rose Bowl, everything was scheduled. Uh, all the practices, because there were media from both teams that, that 
either went to the practice or you waited till practice was over. I don't think you had a lot of choice. Everything for the Rose Bowl is is locked in pretty much. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. I think there was like tougher schedules for all that. At the, like more strict, and it was you're already in LA. You're not traveling and all that kind of stuff. The, the, yeah, and, and you knew what everybody knew what Penn State was doing. So I think there wasn't as much flexibility. Yeah. But we've always referenced the Holiday Bowl and the Wisconsin and how Oof, yeah. all the players are like, oh, we know he knows what he's doing. We're resting us. And then they, they just outmatch physically against Wisconsin. Um, but it, it'll just be interesting to see because this is the longest USC's gone without practicing since fa- before fall camp. They haven't been in pads in, in more than a week. So it'll be I knowing how this team prepares. It just doesn't seem like a good recipe. I think uh, it's more than two weeks, actually. Yeah. Uh, they had those two, quote, developmental Monday-type practices. And from the video we saw, it did look like they had pads on. That's why that I'm giving day. it some leeway, but it just seems like a very extended period of time. Yeah, since yeah, their last two game. Two and a half weeks of uh, pretty, one Pretty much day. since their last game is what, yeah. Well, we, we could probably say with with the confidence that they haven't fully tackled since their last game, like you're saying. Right? Well, that's usually the case every for everything. You <laughs> can just say, you say that no matter what time of the year, it's like the last time they tackled was the last game. Like that's, that's, you know, yeah, yeah it'll be five weeks. Uh, if you go from the UCLA game to the, um, uh, it'll be just under five weeks since they've tackled. Wow. Well, we have an email from Mike, class of 67 in Portland, who says, now that Helton is coming back, can we dial back the Helton hate and focus on the future, i.e., where are some of the changes that need to be made, what worked well last year, recruiting, etc.? If either or both coordinators go this year, who would be some good candidates? Do we want to stay with the spread offense, return to power football, etc.? There's so much hate associated with politics and the news, it would be nice to have some positive experiences or thoughts about the future. I think that's a really good point of view. Once the decision is made... How you know, going over it and going over it and going over it and saying I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I don't want to. I just don't think that's the way to go. You got to try to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, one of my always thoughts about USC is when I look back at, and look at Pete Carroll, for example, and I think all I want for USC is for them to get lucky. You know, they got lucky. When they got Pete Carroll, he needed a job. He wanted a job. His daughter was there. Uh, he just campaigned for it. And USC was lucky enough that the other guys turned it down and they got Pete Carroll. Okay. All you hope, I think, at this point is maybe they'll get lucky. You know, they'll figure some things out by accident. I, I'm always convinced that that 2011 team with Lane Kiffin mostly got lucky by the end. You know, they just figured out. Uh, you know, who they could run the ball behind and they were better than anybody that they were playing that, you know, couldn't stop them. And by the end of the year, after they lost two games, they still might've been one of the two or three best teams in the country. Um, so that's what you got to hope for is they, they get lucky, figure it out and they are able to play to their talent. And other than that, but uh, how do you get lucky? And those are good areas to think about. The return to power football, not ever going to happen. That's not That wouldn't be lucky. That would be kind of dumb with the current talent uh, on this, on this, in this program. And, you know, you're going to lose Michael Pittman, but you got, uh, you know, Kyle Ford, Muneer McClain, uh, you know, coming online. 
next year. So uh, I don't, you don't see any change there. And you got, you know, both JT Daniels and uh, and Keaton Slovis, and you've got three or four pretty good running backs. So they ought to have an offense that, you know, ought to be able to do a lot of things. So now you basically have to figure out what you're going to do on defense. They've got athletes. They just don't know how to play and they don't practice uh, the way you have to play. But uh, uh, yeah, I would, you know, you got to get past it. If if that's going to be the way it is now, you figure out what can you do to be as good as you possibly can be next year. Yeah. But I mean, it's understandable that fans are having a hard time getting past it because they've been asked to get past it multiple times. So um, it's, you know, it, it's going to take some time. So I don't know if you could just say, oh, just forget it all. What little incremental changes can you make this year to try to make the team better as opposed to just making the big change that's needed to be made for two years and USC hasn't done it. Um, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and finish up the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. What's up next, Keely? We have an email from 1977 Trojan who says, Hi, Ryan, Keely, and Dan. I'm as disappointed as anyone that Mike Bone announced the return of Clay Helton, but I'm doing my best to look forward since the since the big decision was made. Which of the draft-eligible players on the team are likely to move on to the pro ranks, and when do they have to make their intentions clear? Thanks for all your great work. Fight on, 1977 Trojan. Yeah, you... What you, this I think one of the most important things that's going to happen is can you convince the the draft eligible guys that you will improve, you'll be a better player, you'll be a more developed player, you'll make up you know the money that you wouldn't get for playing in the NFL this year uh, in the long run, and you'll be a better player for it. How does anybody at USC? be convinced of that you know if you're an offensive lineman a junior offensive lineman and people say what's the point of staying you aren't going to get any better um that i think is is maybe the the crucial uh you know test i mean they've already kind of flunked the you know recruiting uh, class of you know next year's recruiting class test but do they not have the ability to recruit, uh, you know, an Austin Jackson to stay? And, and and how do you recruit Austin Jackson and tell him, you know, it really would be better, you know, if you stay? Um, you know, how do you recruit Tyler Vaughn? I mean, I think there are real ways to do it uh, and, and that make a lot of sense. But um, uh, is this coaching staff, you know, capable of, of making that sale to these guys that you stay another year? The team's going to be better. I mean, to be honest, if, if teams have really good years, it does help your draft status. I mean, it moves you up. It's not an exact science, obviously. So if the team has a good year, you're going to get a better look. They're going to like you better if you're coming from a team that really plays well all year. So you would like to try to sell that to the players if you're the coach. But 
can you, will they trust you? Uh, you know, or will they say, you know what, I'm not going to get any better. I'll just, I'll just move on now. I think that's a big, uh, that's a big issue for this, uh, for this team. What you don't want is any of them to go out too soon. That's just not going to, they're going to do anybody any good. And I'm not sure that it's so obvious that other than an Austin Jackson, Tyler Vaughn's, I'm trying to think of, um, about Jay Tufele. Yeah. Jay Tufele could go. There's not a lot. I mean, you know, guys that are eligible. Um, I think the biggest thing, if you're looking at, I mean, like CJ Paul, like there's just not like looking at the, the red shirt juniors and, uh, or juniors and, uh, you know, Brandon Peely, I don't think you'd see him go. Um, yeah, there's just really not a lot of great options outside of those, you know, the few you mentioned. Um, but the big aspect, the bigger aspect is going to be the transfer portal. What happens there? So it's not just the draft eligible people. It's the disgruntled people that just want to leave. So that, I think that's going to be a bigger impact than guys leaving early for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing, you know, we're hearing names and then people are saying, yeah, they're, they're talking about it. They're not going to do it. And, and so it'd be kind of irresponsible to probably, you know, throw that out there now. And I do think how they prepare for the, uh, the holiday bowl is going to impact some of these guys coming back. I think that's, you know, there are all kinds of things you can do with it. It's like a second spring practice. A lot of people say you get 15 practices in the spring, you get 15 to get ready for a bowl game. If you use it that way, do you use it to bring on the younger guys? Do you use it to give guys that maybe didn't quite get as much of a chance as they thought they should uh, to get more of a chance? You know, I, I think there are a lot of ways that you could use this, uh, <laughs> this bowl practice period that makes you just shake your head and say, what's going on here? Uh, but um, uh, I think we might know more after we see how, how the bowl practice uh, period goes. Yeah, and if there's any coaching shakeups too, because I know that has been a a point of concern for some players as well. Um, we have a email from Frank and Mar- Miranda. No, Frank Miranda. Sorry, and Ryan. I think this is also directed at you, since this is one of your your talking points. He says, "Guys, we hire an a-, a guy who's been an AD before, and he doesn't know the fight song. And how is that working out? At least Mike Garrett still remembered what USC football was and what it could be. Say what you want, but he fired the last coach who went five and seven. Regards." Frank. Yeah, uh, Frank, why are you in this position to begin with? Because of the fight song. So just because it doesn't matter, you know, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan screwed USC royally. And that's why you're in this position now. Uh, Going back to the same well makes absolutely no sense. So this argument, I think, is the dumbest one that we've had on the site for a while. So um, although, although here's the problem, Ryan. It's like Keyshawn Johnson, um, was he going to come in and do a better job? No, like that's just dumb. Well, here, but here's the problem. Mike Brown grew up, grew up in, in Bowler, Colorado, a big USC fan. He's the guy who reminded us that he does know the words to the fight song. Ah. Fight on to victory, which was echoed by Clay Elton within like a nanosecond yeah. after Mike Bone said that. So Mike Bone maybe, uh, you know, either validates or, or, or goes against your, uh, your uh, you know, plan to not have a guy that knows the fight song. Uh, unfortunately, he does know the fight song. Yeah. He said he did. 
We have another email, and it's from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. Well, I guess we know where President Fulton A.D. Bones stand when it comes to coaching. There was a reference in one of the news stories about USC uh, paying out about a half a billion dollars in lawsuits. It definitely sounds like this decision to retain Coach Helton was a financial decision. USC is a private institution, uh, does not reveal its finances, but it would be interesting to know its financial status. Maybe some information could be known because USC does get governmental grants for research. If all the present assistant coaches stay in place, and USC loses one or both of the 2019 bowl game and or the Alabama game, Bone may have a very short tenure at USC. Also, do you really expect any changes in the bowl practice schedule or in any other aspect of Helton's coaching system? And Helton is delusional when he says, uh, when he talks about this year's recruiting class being great, he actually said outstanding, it would be only great it would be great and only if he can reel in Justin Flo and one or two other five-star players and maybe a few four-stars. Stars aren't the end-all and be-all of recruiting, as Keaton Slovis has proven, but they do indicate re- relevance. I'm hoping for the best, as always, but expecting the worst. Those who deny historic mistakes are condemned to repeat them. Uh, much thanks to the three of you for telling the truth to power and not pulling punches for political expediency. Fight on to victory, Dan, class of 1962. P.S. The groaning sound you're hearing is Marv Goo turning over in his grave. Well, that's for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I just—it's just difficult, I think, at this point to uh, to paint a really good picture uh, of, of you know where this is going and uh, you know how. Um, I'm really going to be interested in how Bone addresses this because he couldn't possibly have known all this was coming. Could not have possibly foreseen it. We couldn't. Uh, how he, you know, how he, how he sees this playing out. I'm, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna be interested, and I know Fult totally didn't expect. You know, I guess they're making the deliveries, and you know, we're, we're probably gonna get blamed for that. But they're making the deliveries of the lumps of coal and all that to her office as we speak. Um, those are happening. They are, uh, they are coming. Uh, you know, in the mail to campus. And I'm sure that's probably creating uh, kind of a, uh, you know, if you're President Fault and everything was really good till now, and all of a sudden this happens and and you get hit with it. Uh, and I, if I were President Fault, I'd be looking around and saying, why didn't you tell me this was going to happen? Who's who is she listening to? Who is giving her advice? Who you know prepared her for for what's happening? And how does she react to it? I, I truly I, I truly don't know. I don't think it was a, a money thing though, unless they were absolutely certain they couldn't get someone like Urban Meyer who would honestly pay for himself. I mean the difference between where they're going to be with Clay and where they would have been with Urban Meyer, there's no question the Clay decision cost them money. We we talk about John Wilner and you know it's gonna cost a boatload to keep him, it's gonna cost it'll cost USC a boatload and a half not to keep him. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think it was a money decision. I, I really don't. I think USC, the lawsuits that they've got to pay off, I think are really mostly covered by insurance. Uh, so I don't know how much out of pocket, uh, there actually is, uh, you know, on that, but, uh, uh, not a money decision, not a good decision probably, but not a money decision. I don't think. Yeah. Well, we have an email about that, and it's from John okay. in Oakland. He says, 
the subject title was Can We Move On Yet? He says, Hi, Ryan. It's time for USC football fans to move on and stop the self-loathing over the Clay Hilton that Clay Hilton's being retained. If you can't support USC football, then don't. The decision has been made. Both AD Mike Bone and President Folt are tasked with caring about student-athletes at USC. While most fans don't care if players get an education, their degree, or have positive experiences while in school, fans only care about winning and being entertained. Bone also had to look at the bigger picture. USC's athletic department, which is solely self-funded, had a revenue of $100 million in 2018, according to USC's last annual financial report. I'm sure that Bone, as a professional and seasoned AD, determined it was financially unwise to spend 20% of his department's budget just to buy out Helton and the current staff and, the, and then pay millions more on a new staff. So my questions, how much of the fan anger is due to a fantasy belief that Urban Meyer, ignoring his major health issues, was a lock to be the next USC head coach? Do you think that Bone was just three weeks of first-hand... Uh, with just three weeks of first-hand exposure to Helton, the fact that he couldn't get Urban Meyer, the team has improved under Helton, and as a longtime AD, knows just how hard it is. <laughs> Ryan's making... Improved under Helton? Ryan, let me finish. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you should... No, we, we should cut him off at this point. As a longtime AD, knows just how hard it is to find a top head coach as well as win consistently in Power 5 football. Just decided to wait until next year to judge Helton. The team was better this year than last and should be better next year in Harold's controlled YOLO air raid offense. If it, is, if it isn't... This gives Bone a different crop of potential replacement head coaches or options, maybe even Meyer if he's feeling healthier and missing coaching. Also, where is Utah in the current recruiting rankings? Fight on, John in Oakland. Yeah, John, they're better than last year because they were so awful last year. Like that's not that's not how you judge this team. Not that's, even better than 2017. They finished 11th and three, eight and one in the Pac-12. Yeah, dude, the, John. Uh, you know, I the, 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 here's what's John. Did. This is John. He's trying to justify deep, oh, deep breath, deep breath. He's he's upset that people are really just bashing that it was a horrible decision and it deserves to be bashed. It's being it's going to be bashed. John's kind of tired of it and is trying to give like counter arguments why. Now his counter arguments don't make any sense. But you're just if you want to say, hey, I'm really tired of all this, you know, the self loathing stuff. That's fine. Like that makes sense. But you can't justify it by saying. The team's getting better every year. It's like, okay, John, now no one's going to listen to you because you're just spewing bullcrap out of your mouth. So, sorry, John. I'll let Dan you answer. Does that, you know, John, you know my feelings. Yeah, I mean, uh, the fact, the money, okay, let's say USC, uh, that report said USC took in $100 million. Unfortunately, you talked about self-funded. They spent probably 120 i think is the closest we the latest we saw officially was 110 so i'm guessing uh 120 so do the math i mean this is the first deficit that the at a major deficit that the usc athletic department has had to deal with and as you say they're self-funded you know it looks like the university is going to have to advance some some cash for last year and I'm not sure where the you know the the money's going to come this year because I don't think there's any question that the season tickets are going to drop off. I think the big big question is what happens when the donors start turning back the private suites, um, you know, the ten million dollar suites, the seven and a half million dollar suites, the five hundred thousand dollar suites, the hundred thousand dollar seats, and all that. What happens when those people say? I've had enough. I'm out of here. Give me my money back. Uh, if you don't think that's going to happen, uh, you're probably not, uh, you know, you're not probably thinking straight because I think it's going to happen. And if that happens, how do they close that deficit next year? You can say, oh, well, we didn't have to pay a buyout. But 
I mean, I, I don't think there's any question if you'd have hired an urban mind. And, and I think for people who say, oh, he's got serious health issues. Have you watched him on, uh, on the Fox show? Does he look like a guy that's not healthy? I mean, he's always said it's not a serious health issue, but it's an issue when he gets under a lot of pressure and all of that. But, you know, he's the guy that put together that Ohio State team. Have you seen that Ohio State team? That's his team. I mean, uh, that's what this guy can do. And, you know, he had an issue a little bit at Florida, and he had an issue at Ohio State. I wouldn't, you know, obviously we're not doctors. You aren't either. But to say that, you know, I think it's completely up to Urban Meyer. If he says he's ready to go back, you don't even think about twice about anything else about that. So uh, so I think Urban Meyer pays for himself well over, well, number of times over. And uh, going this direction probably costs you a C. So yeah. I think take the money, take the money out of it. That doesn't make any yeah. sense. You hire a good coach, the money comes back. Like all, you're going to lose more money now by bringing him back. Like it's it's going to be a bloodbath out there. I mean, I just we put the war room in a six hour period. People emailed me from one post I made on the Peristyle, counting up all of their donations and and ticket sales that won't be. Uh, around for 2020 because they're pulling it was a half a million dollars just from the people from one message board post. I can't imagine how big it's going to be. Um, so you're definitely costing yourself a lot more money by keeping Clay Helton than you would to retain him. Like like Dan mentioned earlier, Wilner said, would it cost a truckload to get rid of Clay Helton? Yes, but it'll cost a truckload and a half to keep him. Uh, last voicemail for you. We'll let you go. It's our buddy Curtis. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Kingsbury signed to coach offensive coordinator for USC after a five and seven season. Why are you guys acting like no uh, uh, defensive coordinators or any other coaches would want to come to a lame duck coach? We got a coach that was so good. The coach, excuse me, the pros got him in seconds. He didn't last a month with USC. Clay Helton got the best possible coach that you could get. He can do the same thing for defense, but you don't want to talk about it, Curtis. Well, I mean, I think you know every situation is is different. I think uh, with Cliff Kingsbury, I think he thought if I go to USC, I may be like Ed Orgeron at LSU. I may be the next head coach. Uh, I think that was, there was some, you know, he, he wanted to be a head coach. And, um, you know, te- Texas Tech may not be the place to do it with everybody in Texas now trying to be, uh, really have a top program in college football. SMU is really good now. And obviously Baylor and all, there just isn't almost enough for somebody to do that at Texas Tech. That's a really tough, tough job. So you can see that. Are there the same kind of guys available uh, on defense? It's not quite the same. You can really make a name for yourself, as Graham Harrell did this year, uh, on offense. Whether you have, and for example, I think on offense, that you have more of an opportunity to coach the way you need it to be coached. Not, Not completely. But if you're a defensive guy, and you're not going to be allowed to have them do any kind of tackling or, or be very physical for the whole season, that's a tough deal. That's, I think it's much harder for Clay Helton to hire a defensive guy. I, I, I don't know that defensive people feel very comfortable coming into a situation 
um, uh, the way they practice at USC. I think it'd be tough. Also, do we know the logistics of can you really get rid of Burns or Chad K when they just signed a deal a year ago? Like, what are the logistics of the the moving pieces there? Yeah, usually you're not having. I mean, a lot of the assistants, the lower level assistants, aren't locked up for long term kind of things. But um, I, I think that's going to be part of the cost. I think they'll that'll be minimal compared to what you have to pay for for you know coordinators and stuff. But yeah, I'm curious to see what they do. I, we talked about it, Curtis. People talk about it all the time. I mean, it's not like we're not talking about it. Some people say that uh, it's going to be hard to to bring in a great defensive coordinator as a lame duck coach. I think Dan's point that he brought up before is it might be harder to bring in a defensive coordinator if you know he's not going to be able to tackle. Like if Clay's like, that's not how we do practice unless you give him full, you know, uh, full reign over what he's going to be able to do. And I, and I think if you do that, that could be a huge help because you get a great defensive coordinator and someone that actually changes how you practice would help the team overall. I think uh, you know, that Graham Harrell was able to do that, changed a lot of the practice techniques for the offense, and it helped a lot. If you can do the same thing on defense, I think that would help too. But you could limit yourself, not, you know, the lame duck thing could be a limiting factor. You could, you know, try to get someone in, but, you know, there's a problem there. But also, like Dan said, if you don't let them practice the way they want to, then they might not want to come either. And you really need buy-in from the head coach if you're going to tackle, because you got to be able to tackle the offense and you know if it's strictly uh, a scout team you're maybe not you know i just thought that was the thing that pete carroll did so well is that you got ones against ones some of the time uh with coach orgeron he wanted the ones against the twos and what have you but you got you know competition if you're doing it just against the scout team it's, it's really not not necessarily the same thing you got to figure out how to do it and not overdo it and not get people hurt and all of that but uh um, you, you, if you're if you're not in control of how practice goes, I mean, you know, you may be the defensive coordinator, but you still don't get to say, "Well, we want to tackle those guys." And if the head coach says, oh, "I don't want you to tackle those guys," you're not going to tackle those guys. So, and again, we don't say that that should be the majority of practice or that ought to happen two days a week and all that. You just got to get practice that is very similar to how you're going to play Saturday. You don't want every Saturday to be completely new experience from the previous Saturday when and nothing in between came close to what you're going to have to do uh, on Saturday. And that's the, that's, those are the guys that are the geniuses in coaching who can figure out how to make practice comparable to what you're doing in games. And, and it's a genius. I mean, and there aren't a lot of people who can do that. It's not like saying, oh, well, no, everybody doesn't do it. That's why you have, you know, the great, great coaches. And a program like USC needs a great coach. If, if USC, one of the, there aren't that many programs where you say, if you get a great coach here, you're going to win national championships. There, you know, there are a handful of those programs. You could have a great coach. You know, Pete Carroll would have gone to Washington State he wouldn't have won any national championships, but he got to USC. Uh, that's what you need at USC if you're gonna uh, fulfill uh, y- what you say is your your destiny in college football or national championships. There aren't many schools that can legitimately say that's what we're aiming at. That's what we want our with our coach, and that's what there are very few. If you said it, you know, if you if you go past ten. You're just kidding yourself. Uh, but so now 
you got to get the you got to get that guy that allows you to do those things that give you a chance to win the national championship. How hard do you think USC practice? I mean, uh, Ohio State practices. How hard do you think Clemson practices? How hard do you think uh, um, LSU practices? How hard do you think Alabama practices? That really matters, and USC doesn't. It's that simple. Yeah. All right. Well, how, how long we do we have, go? We have one final question. Oh, we do? Mr. Okay. Abraham. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. And it's from Ray in Rancho. He says, hey, team, I love the podcast and had a question that is not about the AD or head coaching decision. Now that the stadium renovation is complete and since the weather in Los Angeles in December is mild compared to other areas of the country, has it ever been discussed to have the Coliseum host a bowl game or be used as a neutral field site? I don't know if you saw, but according to recent so- social media posts, there might be a few people withholding some donation money. And I was curious if it was under consideration to maybe use the Coliseum in that way to offset the loss of donation money. Thank you for the great job you do in allowing fans an outlet of their uh, for their frustration. Ray and Rancho. I think Ray, the, the problem that you got there is that new stadium that's coming online. And if somebody wants to hold a boat, you know, my thought is that's going to be a place where if the Pac-12 were in any way aggressive about it, or if the Rams decide to follow the pattern of the Dallas Cowboys and host, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an opening week game, I think it's probably going to happen there and probably not going to happen at the Coliseum. Uh, and, and it's not like there isn't a bowl game in Los Angeles after the season. I think there is one. I think it's called the Rose Bowl. And I think that one's, like, really popular. And uh, I'm not thinking – I know there was an Anaheim Bowl for a while. I just – L.A. is a place where either you are really the place to be in big time, and, and that's going to be hard to do, I think, in a postseason game. I think a, a, an opening week game makes a lot of sense. And if I were the Pac-12 and if I were the Rams or if I'm the Pac-12 and I'm the Raiders in Las Vegas, I'm already exploring how to get a – a game like uh, USC is going to be playing next year in, uh, in in Arlington against Alabama, or how the uh, uh, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta uh, is now hosting one of those first week games every year. I think that's what's going to happen more than a than a postseason game in Los Angeles. Yeah, there was uh, they had the Mercy Bowl, I think, in like 1961. Um, I don't. I mean, there was some weird. Like, I yeah, there wasn't. I don't think it was a, a commonplace. I, I don't know. I'm not like a historian for the LA Coliseum, but I don't think there's been a lot of bowl games uh, there uh, at the Coliseum. And, you know, you got that brand new stadium coming in. That's where you're going to have like the, the preseason kind of stuff. So it's, it's USC's home. You know, I don't think you're going to do much else uh, with it. And I don't know how much it's going to offset. Like it's a nice, you know, one day payday or something, but uh, I don't think you're going to offset, you know, hundreds or thousands of angry boosters that are you're gonna, you know, stop giving money for the foreseeable future. At least that's what they're saying. Um, the mercy bowl. Interesting. Is that? Yeah. I think, I think that was the last one. I don't know. I have to look it up, but I think that's going to be the Alabama game next year. Ouch. Yeah. No, I mean, you talk about uh, AD bone and, and president fault rooting for uh, the uh, holiday bowl. How badly are they going to be rooting for that Alabama game, huh? How much is riding on that? Yeah. Because uh, they won't have played a home game yet. So 
and they're not going to sell very, you know, all that many season tickets. So how much of the season next year in terms of attendance and all that is going to be riding on the Alabama game? I think a lot. And just even this year, knowing that there was the, the beginning of the schedule was very difficult. You can say, oh, that was nice finishing, um, you know, five of the last six or so. But you start off three and three. And that's where you just kind of lost everybody. I think you could lose everybody. If you lose the bowl game, they could easily win the bowl game. It's like a, you know, it'll probably be a close game. But, you know, even if you win the bowl game, lose the bowl game. But if you lose the bowl game and you get pumped by Alabama, it's going to be tough for the whole rest of the season, no matter what you do. Uh, I don't even know if people will get on board for like a late run that you make the Rose Bowl again. Um, that's, yeah, I, I think that's the danger that USC is in right now, that you make this decision and it's sort of set up for failure. Like LSU, no number one seed has ever won the, the college football playoff. They're sort of set up for failure, though, where they play, you know, close by in the, you know, against, uh, you know, a Oklahoma team that they're a double digit favorite on. And then they get to play in New Orleans. So that's kind of set up well for LSU. USC is not set up well after this announcement, just what's coming up. Because you got a tough opponent in Iowa and then obviously playing Alabama and Dallas where USC's had zero success. Yep. Well, and then next year, they get Notre Dame at home, but they're on the road uh, at Utah, uh, at Stanford, at uh, um, Oregon, UCLA, and Oregon. Yeah. Those are all road games. Yeah, we don't know the so, schedule yet, but we you Utah. do know, yeah. So you have the two division winners you're going to be playing on the road. You're going to be playing Alabama on the road. You know, you beat Utah this year, but that was at home. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be an easy run. And the, the roster will not be as talented uh, another year. I don't think you're going to have the same kind of freshman contributors that you did this year. It wasn't a really highly ranked recruiting class, but as Dan pointed out, there's a bunch of guys that played well and contributed. But there was... There was dudes that you knew were like borderline four stars that like they could have played better than they 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 were ranked and they did. As this class stands right now, there's not really any guys like that that you're going to expect to come in and play. There's a lot of projects. It could get better over the next eight days, uh, and then you know the the other signing period. But I, I think you're going to have a less talented team going to uh, Dallas to play Alabama certainly than you did four years ago, and probably than you played anybody this year. You know, less talented team. I mean, I, I do think if you re, if you keep everybody in the program, I think that they'll start better ne- next year than they, you know, obviously be playing Alabama, but they'll be better at the start of the season than they were this year. I don't think there's any question about that. If they keep everybody here, I mean, they can't lose too many to the NFL, uh, but uh, I mean, I, and they'll be better and most everybody they play next year loses more than USC. So, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you know, I think they're going to be pretty good uh, in terms of just basic talent, whether they're going to develop that talent. Again, you keep thinking we do, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You see them work hard. I mean, that was what was, I think, a lot really frustrating this year. They practiced and worked. Uh, they had a good spring. There's no question about it. They had a good uh, fall camp. And then that's it. And you just can't believe that when you see a team able to do what they were able to do in, in fall camp and spring, not do it for the rest of the year. It's, it's just, I mean, there's no way to even describe why would they do it that way? And yet 
that's how they've done it. They've done it that way for years, and I guess it's not going to change. But uh, um, this team coached up. It, it could be pretty good next year, but will they be coached up? We don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, pretty long show today. Lots to talk about. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. Um, we still have questions, so I have, I have some for you for the solo pod. A lot of people oh, are angry, yeah. and, and there's only so much we can read in one show. You <laughs> so know? you give me the angry ones. Okay. You handle it well. I'll say I'll, that. I'll try. Yeah. I do like going off on people when they're, you it's, know. It's your specialty, so. Yeah. Hand it off to you. Well, you know, on the Harvey Hyde show, I don't know if you guys got to listen to it. Not yet, no. The former, uh, I'm blanking out his name, uh, USC's like legendary tennis coach wrote in. Really? Yeah, about oh. you should support Clay Helton and all this stuff. You know, he'd won like four national championships as at, at, at coach of USC. So that was kind of interesting. Um, He's a good guy. I like. He lives out in uh, in Palm Springs, I think now, doesn't he? Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, Richard Richard Leach uh, was the coach. I believe won four national championships for USC. Very supportive. Um, you know he, you know, uh, but you know he wrote in was just you know very supportive. Clay Helton doesn't like all the criticism and stuff. I didn't agree with his take, but I really appreciate him uh, listening and writing into the show. Yeah, he's a good guy. He was a, a, a good fan, and uh, his son uh, married uh, Lindsey Davenport. Uh, so. Uh, uh, you know, big, big tennis fam- family and a big USC family and a, and a very good coach and, and a really good guy. So, uh, so those people are out there and, and you don't, uh, you should listen to them. Yeah. All right. I guess we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you know, hour 45 minutes show. Just a, a breezy hour a 45. Tuesday with, well, because we got the bowl practice come up today. So everyone was asking, oh, mm-hmm. wait, no, mm-hmm. that's not the case. Sorry. Uh, all right. Is that too soon? <laughs> Had to get a snark in there before we I sign off. A little off. snark. Yeah. Well, you, yes. Sorry. <laughs> I just That's just my nature. Uh, all right. Let's take a wrap it up. Keely, you're in studio. Thanks, Keely, for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan Weber, for joining us. Enjoyed it very much. Uh, right. Now, just everybody calm down and try to get to the next game if we can. Yeah, next game coming up. They might even practice for it. We'll see. All right, one last snark before we go. <laughs> one, Thanks for tuning in. One for in. the road. <laughs> one for the road. Thanks. It's been a long show. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.